everyone. This is Aubrey. And this is Melody. And this is our podcast, Mostly Macabre. Uh, so welcome back. It's part two. So Hope you're all excited. I guess we should just jump into it, considering I know you all. No, make them wait a little longer. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be fine. So what's new? Anything? I was telling Kevin that I was watching this movie just now on HBO called um, Don't Worry, Darling. The one with Harry Styles in it. Okay. It's really interesting. It's like, um, like this idyllic... Uh, place where all these where these people kind of like Stepford Wives vibes and then like one of them starts finding out like okay like something is really off here but I didn't like I'm not I don't usually watch previews when I jump into movies I just jump into it and so I don't really know like what's ahead I just know that she's starting to be aware of like okay something's Hmm. off so that's all I know because <laughs> then we started recording. I can't jump into movies, into movies like that. I have to know what it's about. Like I need a rundown. I can't just like yeah, just raw watch dog it not knowing. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't raw dog a movie at all. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, so that's probably what I'll do until nice. late tonight. <laughs> All right, so you guys ready to jump in? Yes, tell us all about what happens next. Part okay. two. Part two. So we left off on August 11th, and she was being arrested. But I'm going to take you back to August. Before, I was saying 8th, but it's actually August 9th, because I did a little more digging, and I was like, I mean, it just depends on where you look, but I'm going to go with 9th. Um, and talk about the inquest. So on August 9th, Lizzie arrived at the inquest hearing that was being held in the courtroom above the police quarters. Um, Her request for her family attorney to be present was refused under the state statute providing that an inquest must be held in private. So Lizzie. I thought you were supposed to have your lawyer there. Yeah, it's it's weird, but I did find something later on Uh that I hope now that I'm thinking about it, I hope I wrote it, like wrote it down word for word because it's kind of complicated. You know, it's like law jargon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I hope I wrote it down right because I'm remembering it now, but um, we'll get to it. So anyway, according to the statute there, it was a private um, hearing, I guess. I would think an attorney could be present, but. They refused her attorney. Lizzie sat before the criminal magistrate Josh Blaisdale and District Attorney Jose Knowlton questioned Lizzie. Lindsay, I almost said. It is late for me. Man, it's 822. It's way past my bedtime. Really should have started this earlier, but Kevin was out partying. 822. It's just because my brain is going on like, I don't even know how many hours now. I wouldn't but, be um, wine drunk if we had done this earlier. <laughs> it's better to be wine drunk. Okay, so good old family friend... Uh, family physician Dr. Bowen had been prescribing her hefty doses of morphine regularly, as we remember, um, to calm her nerves Mm. this entire time. Okay, so now we're at the inquest and he's still doping her up. Her demeanor was described as erratic, erratic, confused, and contradictory. 
oftentimes refusing to answer questions, even if the answer was beneficial to her. So I call that a hostile witness. <laughs> She's a little combative. Witness. Oh. A little combative. No, but more instead of combative, it was just like kind of like loopy, like not. Well, she was on more contradictory. <laughs> mm-hmm. Her story often changed. At one time, she claimed to be in the kitchen reading a magazine when her father arrived home. Then she said she was in the dining room ironing. Another time, she was said she was on the stairs, which we remember hearing mm-hmm. all this, you know, from the first yeah. part. Um, but she continually like would change her story, like from one moment to the next, like in the middle of questioning. Like I actually Mm. read the actual, um, what was it? The transcript, like back and forth. It was pretty interesting. That's amazing that they still have them from so long ago. Yeah. That's what I was the whole say. thing. You can read the whole thing. And I actually, it's really, really long. And I got sucked mm-hmm. into it. Cause like, you can just like kind of see it as you're reading it. So back to this and she claimed to be on the stairs. She also stated that she helped her father. Um, remember he like, came in, he wasn't feeling good. She claimed that she helped, you know, him get comfortable on that couch by removing his boots and putting on his slippers. But the police photos clearly show that his boots were still on. So again, another contradictory thing that she was saying, um, she couldn't keep her story straight from one moment to the next. They also questioned Bridget Sullivan and her uncle, John Morris. Bridget's story pretty much stayed the same the whole time, not matching up with Lizzie's stories, story or stories, depending on Mm -hmm. which one she's telling. Um, Next was Uncle John Morris. If you remember from part one, I told you how he gave like this great detailed rundown of his day, almost to the point where it was like too detailed, made it Mm -hmm. suspicious. Mm -hmm. Um, But he did check out because they followed it up and like he was not there. So he was cleared, but it was still like kind of fishy. Yeah. Um, too much detail quest- is always a tell, though. Like, yeah, because it's like putting too much of an effort. Un- Uncle John had his story together. Mm, exactly. Mm, but a little mm. too so, well. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, he technically was not there, so he's good to go. But um, I'll give him a But pass. anyway, <laughs> well, you'll see. So, <laughs> so when questioned about the day, he said that he had visited relatives from 9 to 12. Then he went um, on the street carriage. I guess it's kind of like a bus and gave the number of the one that he was on. So he remembered what number he got on, which, okay. I mean, sometimes, but you know, maybe he gets on the same on. one every day and it's not every day. Cause he's not, he doesn't live locally. He was oh, visiting. Okay. He's hyper vigilant. Then while on the carriage, he met, um, oh, then he recalled the conductor's hat and what was written on it and the numbers on it. Okay. That That's is detailed. a lot. That's very detailed. Then while on this carriage, he met six Catholic priests, names and all. <laughs> wow. Who in the actual fuck would like meet six priests and all he's at one like time? Super just, observant, <laughs> but I would never. Yeah, I was like reading it six. Like, I think in one place it said that he knew their names, but like I couldn't find the names, so I don't mm-hmm. know if he even gave the names or he's like, no, no. I knew I met them all trust personally. Me, I, I know their names. names. Just trust me. I and know they their never names. actually asked him what the names were. I don't think they did. Cause I was like, where are these <laughs> names? Cause I'm like, this is a lot of detail, That's but I couldn't funny. find it anywhere. Okay. I said, who the actual fuck remembers all those details, but more importantly, who meets six Catholic priests all hanging out and riding a bus or a street carriage at the same time. I was like, where were they going? What the fuck were they doing? The Catholic <laughs> priests roll deep. <laughs> 
Mm. I was like, exactly. I was like, did he fear Armageddon? Was there a conference or an exorcism being held locally? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, why are they all together? I feel like all those things would be like the questions I'd be asking more than what their names <laughs> were or what was on the conductor's hat. I'd be, more, is, I'd be like, if I was going to give. If I was going to give some detail, I'd be like, why are there so many of you? What is a group of Catholic <laughs> priests called? A school? A priest? A school of priests? <laughs> a school of priests? <laughs> he, he, he ran across a school of priests, got their names. <laughs> a group of predators. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. So on August 11th, after the inquest, police chief Marshall Hillard arrested Lizzie. On August 12th, she entered her plea of not guilty and was transported to the Taunton, Massachusetts jail that's eight miles north of Fall River. And reported by the Fall River Daily Herald, awaiting her was a gathering of, this is in quotes, a gathering of hundreds, a tumultuous and simply disgraceful crowd of morbidly curious people. Would we have been in that crowd? We totally would have been in that crowd. My mother would have drove us to there and like been the... The beginning of that crowd. They're called ambulance chasers. Oh, that's right. They exist to this day. (laughs) That's right. A correspondent from the Fall River Globe said, she was hurried through the streets of Taunton while people, carriages, and wagons hunted after her. The Bristol County Jail was close to the Taunton State Hospital and the city center. So it was kind of very, like, it was close to everything. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so that was easy for people to get to it and, like, wait for her. The well-constructed building was built in 1873 and could accommodate 65 prisoners. No bars were visible from the street, and it was carefully maintained. The grounds were attractively landscaped with gardens and shade trees. The Boston Globe said it was easy to mistake the place for a well-kept private school. So she went so, to, like, a uh, fancy rehab. A fancy jail. like Yeah, basically. She went to the <laughs> Malibu Resort or whatever. <laughs> uh, but no, like, it just looked really nice. And then um, I actually found pictures of it. I mean, it just looked like a big building to me. But it definitely doesn't look like a prison. That's for hmm. sure. Coming from the privileged life that she came from, you would think that she would be, like, an old, like, ultimate culture shock you know what i mean um apparently she was like really cool and collected and when she did walk in she kind of like walked in like in one place it said like like she was the queen and mm-hmm. those are just she didn't give pay any attention to everyone else so that's she had, the like, younger child air. energy she's the youngest yeah. right that is some younger yes. child energy <laughs> and and spoiled rich Kid energy on top of youngest child yeah. all mixed together. Combine those. Yeah. And that's what you've got. But, well, you know, p- privileged people have friends in high places. So on August 22nd, she returned to Fall River for her preliminary hearing. At the end, Judge Josiah Bla- Blaisdell, who also has a sketchy background himself, but that's a whole other. That'll take much longer. But yeah, he's got a sketchy background. Pronounced her probably guilty in order her to face um, a grand jury and that she remains jailed until then. I didn't know you could sentence people as probably guilty. Well, this was for like, I guess her. I know it's weird to say probably (laughs) guilty. It is. It's strange. I sentence you probably guilty. (laughs) You're probably guilty. So you are going to go before it. Like, well, this was without a jury. This was just, like, okay. a hearing to see if they were going to actually charge her. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, just a preliminary hearing. Just to hear if they're going to, like, put her before a jury to see if they will charge her. It's, like, right, all these right. steps. Okay. 
So, but he kept her in jail until then. So in November, um, the grand jury met. At first, they refused to issue an indictment. Then they reconvened and heard new evidence from Lizzie's good friend, Alice Russell. She told the grand jury that during Lizzie's visit with her the night before the murders, Lizzie told her that she felt like something bad was going to happen to her parents. She also said that while she was staying with Lizzie and Emma after the murders for those couple days, that she saw Lizzie burn her blue dress and that Lizzie told her old paint was on it. So that's a little sketchy. Lizzie. This was the busybody neighbor. No, the busybody neighbor was um, Adelaide Churchill. This is her best friend, Alice Russell. Oh. Who also showed up with the neighbor during? Remember, everyone showed up during like mm-hmm. he's just lying dead in the living room, and everyone's just waltzing in. <laughs> and right, everyone you know. Not gonna lie, <laughs> not gonna lie. If I probably would have showed up too, been like taking a peek. That's but, what um, they did back then. That's what I would do now if I was allowed. <laughs> <laughs> if I could get in there and show up with a stick, <laughs> just gonna poke a little. I'm just kidding, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Back, um, back then, though, they didn't really know about, like, preserving evidence, like, preserving the scene. Clearly, clearly, as we talked about before, just putting sheets on people and just, <laughs> oh, this isn't dignified and letting people waltz in and out. No. Keeping them in the freaking dining room for days. <laughs> so fucking great. While people sleep over. Can you imagine, like, that's a good friend. Kind, You know, well, she turns into a bad friend. But, like... I don't know. I'd be like, hey, you can come to my house. I'm not going to sleep at your house with the bodies there. there. Like, someone just got murdered. Let's stay at your place. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It's a bit much. And and it was hot, and they didn't have electricity. It probably stunk. Oh, no. Mm. Think about the the decomp. Yeah, on top of everyone being sick. It was probably horrible. But anyway, so had pay on it. Along with Bridget's testimony saying that Lizzie had been wearing a blue dress earlier in the day. That was enough circumstantial evidence to convince the jurors, and they decided to go forward with, you know, indicting her. December 2nd, Lizzie was indicted on the murders of her parents. Lizzie and Emma severed all ties with Alice and never spoke to her again. That friendship was done after she went and testified and said all those things. Mm -hmm. Um, During this time, the community was was so divided. There were some family members and friends during all this that kind of like believed her i mean that kind of started to sway thinking that she maybe did something um and some actually believe that her and her uncle john morris were in on it together um mm-hmm. then there were people who were fiercely stood by her like as we heard the doctor who was right by her side that whole time and she was part of all of these charities and groups and organizations they stood by her well yeah and they were adamant they were (laughs) adamant that she did not do it and they were worried that she wouldn't get a fair trial because of at that time women couldn't serve on juries because Mm -hmm. only people who had voting rights could serve on juries and women did not yet so it was only men so women congress didn't I'm, I'm just going to throw a little fun fact in here because I feel it's important. Mm-hmm. Congress didn't even vote on it until June 4th of 1919. And it wasn't ratified until August 18th of 1920 before women could actually mm-hmm. vote. So, but they all rallied around her and they were like really worried that because there wouldn't be a woman on the jury that she wouldn't get a fair trial. So she remained in prison. Lizzie remained in prison until her trial. While in prison, she was under the watch of Sheriff Andrew R. Wright and his wife, Mary, who was the matron of the women's section of the jail. 
The Wrights were um, acquaintances of Andrew and Abby Borden, and they believed that she wasn't guilty. So while Lizzie was um, being booked into the prison, Sheriff Wright spoke to the press and like outlined the rules and regulations. Basically, he gave a little press conference while mm-hmm. they were booking her and getting her getting her all settled in. And he decided to give a rundown of what her schedule would be. Breakfast um, of bread and coffee would be served at 7 a.m., lunch at 11.30 a.m., corned beef would be served twice a week, soup would be on the menu twice a week, and codfish and potatoes would be served on the remaining day. Supper's at 5.30 and would consist of tea and bread. Before dismissing reporters, Sheriff Wright wanted to make it clear to both reporters and the public that Lizzie hadn't been convicted of any crime. She was not there to be punished. Therefore, he intended to energetically guard her privacy and that no press would have access to her and that they would not be passing on any requests to her or her family or her attorneys. Well, it must be nice to have friends (laughs) in high places. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Another perk that all the prisoners had at this place was they had the right to supplement or replace jail cuisine with food brought from the outside, like outside, if the prisoners paid for it. I know. And I'm like, this is kind of like, like a bed and breakfast here. Like, I don't know. It's like a dorm. Um, Exactly. So Lizzie took advantage of this frequently, ordering food from the kitchen at the Taunton Inn, which is the best hotel in the city. Inmates were only allowed to leave their cell to go to the basement to empty their slot buckets, which gave them about 10 minutes of exercise a day. Sheriff Wright, who thought of himself as a by-the-book administrator, definitely bent the rules for Lizzie. She was pretty much allowed to walk freely around the prison and do what she pleased. (laughs) Um, She was given, she was also given a softer pillow and sheets where other (laughs) inmates didn't have that. They put a rocking chair in her cell. So cozy. They even like, it said that they added a little color. So God knows what they put in there. They added a little color for her. She said prison, but make it cute. (laughs) Yeah. And then also he, um, she was allowed to wear her own clothing instead of the jail issued attire. So she was allowed to wear her own clothes and just kind of, it was pretty cushy for her in there. June 5th in 1893, the trial started in the New Bedford Courthouse before a panel of three judges, Caleb Blodgett, Justin Dewey, and Albert Mason. Lizzie had a high-powered defense team that included Andrew Jennings and George Robinson the former governor of Mass. While District Attorney Jose Nolan and Thomas Moody argued the case for the prosecution, the inquest testimony was actually ruled inadmissible. There was something in there that I was reading. It was like all written in, in law jargon, so I'm not going to like try to quote it without reading it. But basically, mm-hmm. she didn't have her attorney, and they didn't like... She had the right to remain silent, kind of like the whole Miranda like I don't know if they even had that back then yeah. but basically she had the right to remain silent she had the right to her attorney and like so they just made that inadmissible the whole hmm. in, like the inquest which actually in a way kind of really benefited her because Probably. in her inquest she she said all types of stuff where they were like where were you when your you know when your father came home oh I was reading a magazine and then they'd ask her again she's like well I was looking for for something out back, like in the barn. Yeah. And then she said at one point, Oh, well, I was on the stairs. She, she had just, several no, I was stories. She, I mean, and she would switch it literally one after another, after another, like right in a row. So it was like really loopy. So not having that in there really did benefit her. The thing I can't um, get past though, is she was on morphine. 
So like, yeah, she probably said all sorts of things, but if she was on morphine, depending on like how heavy her dose was, she probably they were doing like double doses. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. The doctor. Yeah, the good old family friend. <laughs> Dr. Feelgood. Dr. Feelgood, exactly. Okay, so the inquest testimony was ruled inadmissible at the trial, and only having circumstantial evidence, Mr. Moody opened by describing the facts, um, trying to prepare them, the jury, to accept the idea that a woman could have committed this gruesome crime. Because you got to remember, a lot of people, too, that were like, you know, everyone was very divided. And there were so many people because of the times that really thought a woman, there was no way a woman could actually do this crime. This is a man's crime. Like, I this is too gruesome that. for a woman. Well, I don't act. remember yeah. that because I wasn't there. But, like, I remember the, like, the, yeah. fema- the idea of, like, the female serial mm-hmm. killer was so, like, crazy to think about. Preposterous. Yeah, like, like there's no way can't be. a feeble woman, yeah, a feeble woman can't <laughs> do that. small little brains couldn't do that. <laughs> Yeah, they're tiny little arms, only made for sewing and carrying <laughs> babies, not not cracking their father's skulls open. <laughs> that's why we poison them. <laughs> well, that's what they would say. They yeah. said that women poison. They don't use an axe to kill people. <laughs> so he was trying to prep the, you know, he was stating the facts or the quote unquote mm-hmm. facts. And he was, you know, trying to prep them, like to really wrap their mind around a woman could do this. Um, he went on to present the four axes and hatches that they had found at the Borden house, but there was no actual physical evidence. There was just, there was no blood on them. There was nothing to them. So like. They had four hmm. axes. Yeah, but it wasn't uncommon for people to have axes yeah, or hatches. Bet, because, back in the day, you need them. Yes. Yeah. And they didn't have electricity. So it was very common, you know, so, they, but you can't just take. You can't just take four knives out of like the butcher block there and be like, one of these knives could have and probably is the murder weapon. (laughs) So they um, brought the uh, four axes or hatchets in, but there was nothing like no physical evidence on them. So at one point during his opening statement, I guess he did have a dress that was hers. But again, he was like, you know, he, he opened with the dress and the hatchets. He was being theatrical, stating how like, you know, a woman can do this crime. And then when he put the dress back on the prosecution table, um, he accidentally, I guess like somehow revealed. Now, if you remember, they, they severed Abby and Andrew's heads and boiled them to like show their skulls. Well, when he did that somehow, I guess it moved something and the skulls were like exposed. And when Lizzie saw that she fell, it was so dramatic how they wrote it. Mm. At the sight of this, Lizzie fell into a faint that lasted for several minutes. And for the rest of his two-hour speech, Lizzie listened from behind a fan feeling weak. So she sat there fanning herself for the rest of his two hours being very, like... I love that oh. era of women just mm-hmm. fainting. If we did that now, can you imagine just fainting? You'd be like, oh, oh, we'd be freaking committed. You've got to be kidding me. It was a whole thing back then. They had, oh, like, yeah, fainting she did it well. couches... So ridiculous because you know, feeble women, you're just gonna faint. <laughs> so ridiculous. I kind of just want to do it just to I see. I think that maybe we were happens. playing into it. Maybe we weren't like necessarily just fainting. Maybe women of the day were just playing into it. I don't know. I'm just. Oh, no, they weren't fainting. The they shit. were definitely playing that shit up. <laughs> They're like, watch this. Watch. I'm gonna get a crowd. <laughs> I'm just and a just feeble woman. <laughs> 
Oh, I, I need, I need, I need water, and I need that chocolate bar, and throw in that scarf. Oh, <laughs> throw in that scarf. <laughs> you know, in the middle of like the market area, or whatever the heck they're doing. Jesus, I'd be like, oh, I need, I need all these things. Uh, that will make me feel better. I'll stop fainting. Just keep hitting the ground. <laughs> it's like a toddler having a fit. <laughs> So Andrew Jennings was up next and opened uh, Lizzie's defense by directing, uh, by directly pointing out that the prosecution is solely relying on circumstantial evidence. He said, and this is a quote, they have either got to produce the weapon, which did the deed, or else they have to have got to account in some reasonable way for its disappearance. Mm -hmm. There are two kinds of evidence, direct evidence and circumstantial evidence. Direct evidence is the testimony of persons who have seen, heard, or felt the thing or things about which they are testifying. There is not one particle of direct evidence in this case. From the beginning to end, against Lizzie Andrew Borden, this is not a, there is not a spot of blood. There is not a weapon connected with her. Yeah, so, like, he was, like, that was how he opened, like, this is nonsense, we shouldn't even be here. Then they called on Emma's sis, uh, on Emma, her sister, to testify in her defense about the dress that Alice Russell had mentioned. She testified saying that the dress was very faded and old and stained, and it was legitimately destroyed. So she was just hmm. saying like, it was just a coincidence. She, you know, went up to bat her. Next, they called um, Dr. Bowen, who stated that he believed that Mr. Borden's troubles with his tenants probably had something to do with the murders. And when asked about the morphine he had prescribed her, um, he agreed that he believed that that could be, why Lizzie was so um, confused and mm -hmm. contradictory in her testimony. So he was saying like, he was all about her defense and oh yeah, no, that she would be, she's getting confused because of the medications and her father had a lot of issues with his tenants. So hmm. she had a, well, he probably didn't yeah. want to see her get locked up. Cause he, um, it mm -hmm. sounds like got a lot of business from her. <laughs> with yeah, all no her fainting <laughs> episodes and needing her medications and, whatever else yeah. he had her on. Mm-hmm. So then Adelaide Churchill was on the stand. She stated that she did remember seeing Lizzie wearing a light blue dress with a diamond figure on it, but she did not see any blood on her. So she didn't, she, like, I think the state did call her, but like technically it kind of just worked out in the defense's favor because she's like, I didn't see any blood. Um, then they brought in uh, Bridget or Maggie, as they called her, Bridget Sullivan to the stand to tell her version of what happened that morning. Now, as we know, her, Bridget's story never really lined up with Lizzie's, or at least sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't, depending mm -hmm. on Lizzie. And she was actually, again, she was also with the state's, like one of the state's witnesses. But in the end, it turned out being better for the defense. Um, they asked her about... Lizzie and her mother, like what their relationship was like. And she said everything was pleasant and that Lizzie and her mother always spoke to each other. So they didn't expect her to say that considering they thought like they wanted her to be like, oh, they hated each other. They had a horrible relationship. So it ended up kind of working in Lizzie's favor when she was up there. They also were really playing on the fact that she was a woman. The crime was a man's job, like we had mm -hmm. talked about before. Um, and there was no possible way this poor wilting flower could carry out this kind of act. <laughs> Never mind wield an axe over her head. Like, it was just impossible mm -hmm. for her to do. And they really, like... She would have fainted. 
<laughs> she would have fainted. No, they really played that up that she was just like so weak so and frail. oh she couldn't do this. So frail, so feminine. Um and like they even had her dressing very like modestly and like, you know, like just very feminine, carrying a fan. They made sure to make her very like wilting flower. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just a you know, a fragile. I'm just a lady. I, a fragile lady, yeah. Um she had excellent attorneys. And Sounds even the like new, newspaper yeah, and the newspapers were impressed with their strategies and like they were boasting about them in articles about like how they shot down the prosecution's theories like effortlessly and kind of like even using the state's own witnesses, they turned it around. Like they were just really good attorneys and it really portrayed Lizzie to be this poor weak woman, you know. So it really worked out to her benefit. The jury ended up deliberating for about an hour and a half before coming back with its verdict of not guilty. When they did that, Lizzie let out this dramatic yell and sank into her chair and clutched the courtroom rail. She and then, like after a few moments, she let out another yell and placed her hands and like her face in her hands. It was like really this dramatic, ah, like this scene. Yeah, that's that. I think I read somewhere too. I didn't write it down, but it was like she was like, "I just want to, I just want to go home." Like really dramatic. Personally, I think the jury was right to find her not guilty. That's my opinion. Yeah, I do think I, I do think that she did it, but I don't think that the prosecution proved her guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. I, I think agree. they 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 didn't have enough. It was just kind of. I mean, granted, I do think she did it. Like, but. I wouldn't have been able to say guilty. I'm like, with you. I with think no that blood. she probably did it, but I don't think that they had enough evidence to prove that she did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of cases like that. Yeah. And I also think like, even for back then, if she were a man, she probably would have been found guilty. Oh yeah. Nowadays, if she was like, I think nowadays she would have been found guilty if she being a woman, but back then, I don't know. I just think and it would be different then. Was this a jury trial or not? Yeah. Yes. It was all tw- it was 12 men. Oh, oh that's, that's right. the other thing, yeah. dude. There's a picture. I'll put a picture of the jury up. They actually went and like got their picture taken and gave it to Lizzie at the end of the trial. Like, oh my god. <laughs> they did. She they had went some and had a portrait in this town. Yeah. Yeah, the jury went and had a portrait taken and gave her a portrait. Like what jury gets the other like Let's take a selfie. <laughs> Your biggest <laughs> fans. <laughs> yeah, they gave her the portrait afterward. They went mm. paid, had a portrait done all together, and gave Could it to you her. Could you imagine, afterward. like, if OJ Did they have, like, business <laughs> ties with her? Or was there some sort of benefit that they were getting from her not being in prison? Um, not, not that I could find. Like, no, there's nothing saying that she, mm. like, had pull with the jury. Granted, she had pull with a lot of people. In like, the let's town, think about just it. You in even general. Said, the doctor gets a lot of business from her i you bet know, other people got a is, lot of business from her she's like a very contributing the, member to society yes yes there is actually like if this could go on for so long but there are like when i went on the tour i wish i had like taken notes because i was like trying to think of the money trail today i was like i can't think of all the ones that the lady pointed out but there are quite a few people that were like that benefited mm-hmm. a lot afterwards so it was kind of interesting but again someone with money whether they're guilty or innocent if they have the money to make sure they're not going to go to you know like even if you're innocent and you've got that kind of money Mm -hmm. 
you're going to be like, just here's the money. Make sure I don't go to jail. You know what I mean? So many times that's that's how it works. Mm -hmm. So, and if they are guilty, they'd still say, here's some money. Make sure I don't go to get jail. But so it's kind of hard to say, like, I don't know, but it is an interesting, like there is a whole theory out there about that. Um, Do we know any more about the uncle? Yeah, I think there was something there where he kind of benefited too. That's the money trail I was trying to find out about. I couldn't find, I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think he did get like. He helped in some sort of way. Yeah, I think so. I personally think that it was. It kind of, kind like of sounds like he was the muscle because he arrived in town just in time for like all of this to happen. Um, there's, we'll get into that a little bit later, but yeah, I do feel the same way. Cause like even some family members, like I said, started to be like, it's kind of weird. And when I was reading the transcript, they had asked her at one point, like, do you know if your father has a will? Mm-hmm. And she's like, I know nothing about it. And then at one point they're like, um, she's like, I'm not sure. I've never seen one. And she said about her uncle telling her he did or something mm-hmm. like that. So her and it was that uncle that was there. And they did say there's like some rumors saying that the wills went missing after the murders. Enough but for, enough time for her to change it or like alter it. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, there was nothing like proven with mm-hmm. that. That it's just kind of like a rumor, you know, like oh, saying that the wills weren't around or whatever. Um or just burn it and get rid of it because technically that is all part of like here's my thing. Like I think is that how it ended up? All right. So, I'll let you go. Well, going back to like, okay. So I'm going back to like my, like, I'm like, I think that she's guilty, but I couldn't find her guilty, like beyond reasonable doubt, whatever. The one thing that the the prosecution did have, but that I don't think that they pushed enough was the fact that they did have motive because technically the fact that Abby was killed first, that ensures like... The fact that Abby was killed first means all of her assets got transferred to Andrew and then he died. So that means the girls get all of his assets and hers because Mm. technically she died first. It went to him as her husband, according to her will. And then so it's very beneficial that Abby was dead first. Mm -hmm. Now, if it had been the other way, if he had died first and then all of his assets would have went to her. And then when she died, it would have went to her family. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so that is a money trail. And it's Mm -hmm. also like serious motive. Um, Again, there's nothing that really can physically link that, Mm -hmm. but it makes a lot of sense of like, like, why would it happen? Because why would someone just like randomly go in the house, kill two people, leave the other two alive and leave? And take nothing. (laughs) Like, and take nothing. And like, personally, I think it was kind of planned. And the fact that like, Emma wasn't there and she was kind of a shut in. So the fact that she went on vacation, it was very rare for her to be gone. So she was gone like for like two weeks, which is kind of out of the norm. The uncle shows up randomly and he knows he's gone in the morning. So it kind of almost seems like a big conspiracy, like almost like a plot. Um, I personally think maybe, I don't know if Emma was in on it. I just think that maybe the uncle and Lizzie were in on it or even Bridget, whether she was in on it or just kept her mouth shut. But it seems like more people to me, like had more to do with it. So after the trial, Lizzie and Emma returned to Fall River and continued to live together. They inherited their father's money, which is about $500,000. So today that would be around 10 million. 
They did, Ooh. however. Yeah, it's a lot. They inherited quite a bit. And they had <laughs> There's property. Yeah, exactly. They had property. <laughs> they did, however, give Abby's family, um, her two sisters, money from her estate and transferred the estate over to them for a dollar. So, you know, give credit where credit's due, I guess. I mean, they didn't give them, considering how much money they have, they really didn't give them a lot, but they did give them something. So, Do we know the number on that? I don't know what the number is. I'm sure maybe we could find it somewhere. I don't know. There's a lot of evidence and a lot. Like, things are very well documented, but I didn't see it. Surprising. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad they were smart enough to document stuff back well, the, then. The funny thing is, this took place the same exact year as Mercy Brown. And it's funny because Mercy Brown lived in, like, that tiny rural area that was, like, a like how Lizzie's right there in the city with a hustle and bustle, with money. And it's like, it's like worlds apart. It's almost like they're like back in time. So it's funny sometimes when I'm like reading all this, I'm thinking of like, this is the same exact year. Like, like they're talking about how her father was reading the paper in the morning. Like Lizzie's father was reading the paper in the morning before he got killed. And I'm like, he's probably reading the story about Mercy Brown. It's probably right there in the Providence Journal. (laughs) That's um, true. It is true. That's exactly like, it's just weird to think of it that way. That seems like two different worlds. But yeah, um, city city folk and townies. That's the exactly. <laughs> so Emma and Lizzie ended up buying a mansion in the Highlands, the Hills, which is where Lizzie always wanted to live anyway. So, and they named it Maplecroft. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to name a house one day. I'm not sure what I want to name it, but it would be nice to be like. I mean, hmm. if you have a just to name your home, like, yeah. Put a little plaque on there, and be like, oh, I'm going to whatever. Estate Mar-a-Lago. Day. Yeah. <laughs> what are the not going like, requirements for your home to need a name? I think you could you should just start if you feel your, like it. Yeah, just start naming your like house it. now. Exactly. I'm a, my apartment. I'm like <laughs> get a big plaque and put it on the door. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm putting a little metal gate. <laughs> Why should names be be gate caps? I have an idea. I'm going to get one of those dog gates that like, you like, plop up. Like, you know, the kind that you just like place there. And yeah. I'm going to get all fancy. I'm going to put like a little metal name on it and be like, people, people come in, like, you know, come through my gate. We need to know the name. Yeah, I got to come up with it. Maybe people can write in, write in and tell me what the name yeah. of my apartment should be. <laughs> my estate. My, my two bedroom estate. Auburndale. 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 That sounds like uh, a frozen. Arendale. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so they brought the house that they, you know, she always wanted. And she also was one of the first people that, like, she had one of the first cars. So, you know, she was styling, she was spending the money. Um, even though she was acquitted, she remained to be the prime suspect in her parents' murders. Obviously, Did you say she had a still- car? Yeah, she got a car. She had one of the first cars. Oh, mm-hmm. she had that Model T. <laughs> yeah. I think she even had a driver at one point. Yeah, she definitely she got around. She liked to travel. She liked to go to like Boston mm-hmm. and New York. She, she liked to go out to nice her rest- own car. <laughs> exactly. She pay- <laughs> I forgot about that. A crank. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She had a, a, a gas pump at her house, so like, I always have I, trouble yeah. like putting like the technologies and the times together because it's so oh, weird. Because yeah. now we have tiny yeah. computers in our pockets. Because <laughs> even when we were in high school, my phone was like a dinosaur compared to now. So like, oh yeah, we've come, we've like come razors a long way. and blackberries. Yeah. We, oh God, blackberries. 
<laughs> I was out of high school when that happened. But anyway, she liked to travel and all that. So she liked to take her car. She had to go and like have dinner in, you know, Boston and New York. And she liked to spend her money and do She was Good always so her. I love that yeah. about her. She's stimulating the economy. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. In her, in her father's Stimulus. <laughs> <laughs> but also, so she always remain, remained the prime suspect, obviously, because she still is mm-hmm. to this day. But she was ostracized for the, um, for the Fall River Society. So basically... She got shunned by her church, that church that she was so involved in. Like they just the completely... one she made all the donations to. Yeah, oh, they I turned know. their they backs made... on her. They turned their backs on her. You mean um... because that money stopped flowing? They just turned her backs on her. <laughs> well, it would have kept flowing because oh, she was. That's on... true. You're right. Yeah, my bad. So they turned yeah. their yeah they turned their backs on her, and like that was like a huge blow. Um, uh, like she had tenants, like people just would turn away and not look, you know, like they wouldn't talk to her. And mmm-hmm. she was like the leper and the neighborhood mm-hmm. kids would taunt her by singing. I wonder why the she whole... stayed there. You know, maybe she, she could have like, gone anywhere. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, she had some deep roots too. deep pockets, deep roots. Mm-hmm. Good connections in that town. Exactly. You know? She's pretty hooked up. But no, the neighborhood kids would taunt her by singing that rhyme. The You know, Lizzie Borden had an axe. They'd like sing that outside of her house at her. Oh my goodness. And so I'm thinking rude. like, that's ballsy. It's not even just rude. Like if she really about- did that, do you want exactly. to be doing, <laughs> do you want to be fucking with her? If you really believe say, that she killed her husband, is this the person you want you to mean be her mother with? and father, not her husband? Sorry, her yes. And yes. Her family. Is this really? <laughs> She's a murderer. <laughs> uh, like that's what I'm saying. Like for, as a little kid, like think about like that neighbor that was like the, the crotchety old lady or like that, you know, like everyone's got that neighborhood, like, you know, that one person that you're like, oh, don't go in their yard because they're, you know, they'll. Oh, yeah. Whenever whatever. we were kids, this is not something I'm proud of. But whenever we were oh, kids, God. there was definitely this crotchety old, older lady. Like back whenever we would visit my grandma in Mexico on her street, like on her lane or whatever. There was a crotchety old lady and like. We would just make up stories and like rumors about her house because she was exactly. so like mean. Yes. So, <laughs> I think she was probably just a really lonely lady, but she really was mean. She was super crotchety. She was just like yeah. always screaming at us kids and like always Every in a neighborhood bad mood. has one. <laughs> Every neighborhood has one. Um and they also would like play different pranks and stuff on her. So she kind of lived her life like Kind of like she ended up staying home and mm-hmm. I mean, she did things, but she also kind of kept to herself. Like it's kind of a lonely life, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I don't mean, get it. She could have gone anywhere. That's true. And it you stay there true. where people hate you and talk shit about you. But it's almost like a power move. Like I'm yeah. not going. Mm-hmm. You're going to run me yeah. off. You know, Crying I can kind of see that in her bank. personality, too. You know what I mean? Because like, she definitely held like you said, she had she had money. She had connections. Why is she going to go when she's like, I think it's almost like being stubborn, you know? I don't think their opinions would bother me if I was like on a beach in Italy somewhere. <laughs> I hear you. I'm right there. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm out. <laughs> but I also wouldn't hack my family to pieces either. Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> I love I my family. Like <laughs> yeah. Okay. So she ended up changing her name to Lizbeth 
um, because just to try and get a little distance from it. Slightly different. That's really not that different. Slightly not different. But again, like you said, why doesn't she leave the area? I mean, she changes her name, but not too different. I almost feel like it's a little bit of a stubborn thing. Like, Maybe it was just like a thing that she did for her personally to be like, okay, this is a new chapter, but everybody else still fuck you. A a new identity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she did continue to be very involved in charity, like uh, right up to the day that she died in organizations. She was always like, she would just start donating anonymously though, because people mm-hmm. wouldn't would take her donations. Know, they wouldn't take her donation. Oh, they were just nasty about it. So she would donate anonymously. She was still oh, man. really in. And actually, um, mm-hmm. I couldn't find, I think she like had something to do with, like, she was very big about women's rights mm-hmm. and like, I can see that. Yeah, so... That's actually kind of, I don't know, like, that's actually very philanthropic of her to be like, here's my mm-hmm. donation privately because I want you to still take it. But that's real, charity. Whenever I do a donation, I don't put, like, I never put my name on it. I'm not like, you know how they're like, oh, you mm-hmm. can, like, if say you do a GoFundMe. I always do anonymous, or if I donate something, they like, give me a thing, like, oh, you can put your name in the window. The only time I do that is if I let my kids put their names on it. Mm-hmm. But I, I never, I'm like, no, no, I'm good. Like have your your dollar or five or whatever it is that you do for your charity like i'm not i don't need my name on the window okay so anyway she was still very social like to throw parties um yeah she liked to well she ended up she she frequently went to plays and she ended up hanging out parties anonymously anonymously (laughs) anonymous party oh shit it's the murder lady when they all show up to the dinner party (laughs) or like gatsby where nobody quite knew who it was during the parties oh all fun things but now she frequented like she like frequently went to plays she was really into like theater and all that and she ended up like she would always invite the actors back afterward which was very taboo and considered like like low class to do that. It actually really used to make Emma mad and she did not approve of that kind of like bohemian lifestyle. And she ended up, they got into like, it really created a lot of tension between them and she ended up moving out and moving to New Hampshire and they never spoke again. Oh, wow. Why do you always look down on the, the artists? I don't know. But I kind of feel like it's got to be something else. Like, they're using that. I think that was part of it. Like, Emma being a homebody like she was and being an introvert and, like, really being, like, the stereotypical old maid, I can see it bothering her if she's coming home late night and, like, Oh, yeah, for sure. It was kind of like roommate Those artists are having... Yeah, and those artists are having a good old time. They're getting drunk. Oh, yeah, for sure. They're having a good... They're probably having, like... They're yeah. smoking pot. They're doing blow. They're Orgies like cheese galore. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I can see her being like, "I'm trying to study." No, it's <laughs> she's that. <laughs> she's that roommate. She's the one that moves out. But the fact that they never saw each other or spoke again is, I feel like there might have been something else there. Like maybe she wasn't in on it and maybe she found something out or maybe she saw a different side of her because she like, she was super protective of her. Like she literally Mm -hmm. is, she's 10 years older than her. She pretty much like raised her. So for her Mm. to do that, like it's really weird. I think it's really strange. Yeah, like you Um, wouldn't think that just some rowdy parties would get her to leave. I mean, leave, yes, but never speak to her yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. Like, if yeah. she's been there her whole life, to just, like, completely break ties with your sister because it was some rowdy parties, that's a little bit... 
It's a yeah, it's extreme. It's, it's a stretch. There's got to be more to it. Yeah, I yeah. agree. It sounds like there is more to it. Yeah. So Lizzie actually, you know, she didn't, she ended up in the papers again about four years after she was acquitted. Um, she ended up getting a warrant put out for her arrest from Providence, Rhode Island for shoplifting and ended up having to pay restitution. This is not the first time she was caught shoplifting before she even was um, charged with murder. She had been in trouble once before for shoplifting. So she's a quirky human. She's got some things going on. Because that bitch has $10 million way back when. She can afford things. And she's shoplifting and getting she caught. She likes to steal. She has a little she's bit of some... her dad in her. Like a little frugalness. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah, because that's the other thing, too. They kept the house that is still there that they lived in that he was murdered in. That couch, all they did, because they ended up having tenants in that house, because that's when they bought Maplecroft. They moved out. They started renting that house out. They reupholstered the couch and left it there for the tenants. It's a perfectly good couch. <laughs> Just had a dead guy on it. Oh, like, no. I couldn't that do is, that. That's pretty fucking frugal. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Would you want to look at that couch? No. Like, okay, she, if somebody else really did that like, to your parent, like, you would not want you to want, keep that. But they're like, nah, we'll keep that for the tenants. We'll just reupholster it. They probably had Bridget fucking scrub it down and reupholster it. <laughs> Bridget had to get on it. I don't know. I, it's just like, you're right. That little, that's like, odd. weirdness that's of, really like, odd. we'll just keep it. Mm. Yeah, they're weird people. She lived at Maplecroft until um, the day that she died. She died at the age of 67 in 1927. She was buried um, by the graves of her parents in Fall River Oak Grove Cemetery. So you can actually go to her grave. Like, after you go there, you can actually go over to the cemetery and, like, go see where they're all buried. Did you go there, too? We didn't have... No, mm-hmm. I wanted to, but it was Halloween, so my kids had to go trick-or-treating. So they didn't have a lot of time. We had to get them ready. I was like, darn it. <laughs> I was like, till next time, I will get the pictures. We'll yeah. go. You got to see the house this time. That's cool. Yeah. I want to go with you next time. That sounds so fun. And Maplecroft is still there. It's actually privately owned now. So you can drive by and like take a picture. So you can drive by it and see it, but you can't go in because people live there. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's like, yeah. Does it have um, a high turnover rate? (laughs) No, it actually, I think it was, I don't know. It was just sold recently. I think, I have to double check, don't, like, quote me, but I think the people, like, like Lizzie Borden House, I Mm -hmm. think they owned all of it. I do know that the people that bought it just bought it, like, you can pull it up on the internet and it shows, like, just sold. Like, it's been maybe a couple years now, but Mm -hmm. it was sold. Like, I remember when it went up for sale. So nine days after Lizbeth died, Emma passed away in New Hampshire at the age of 76. So they died nine days apart and they are buried next to each other, um, next to their parents. When Lizbeth died, she was worth over $250,000, which is equivalent to 5 million today. She left $30,000 to the Fall River Animal Rescue League because she was a huge animal lover. Like absolutely loved animals so thirty thousand dollars then was equivalent to six hundred twenty eight thousand dollars to an animal wow. shelter yeah she left 500 in a trust to care for her father's grave so i can't remember i didn't write the equivalent of what that tr- you know turns over to her closest friends and cousins each got six thousand dollars which would be 126 thousand today and numerous other friends and family members received a thousand each which would be like twenty one thousand today. So. I did write after that, 
the money trail, but I couldn't find like all of it. I put that. Um, so I'm just going to say I put the money trail, but I only did Bridget's money trail. Now, after this, Bridget Sullivan moved to Anaconda, Montana in 1897 and married John Sullivan in ni- 1905. Apparently, Lizzie had like she left. She never spoke about it again she took off i think there's a, like a story like when i went on the tour the lady was somehow like she kind of like i think people found her and she was like not willing to be like admit it was her and then like mm-hmm. they kind of like you know like investigating like figured out it was her and she um small world yeah, she kind of took off right afterward, never spoke about it. But on her deathbed, it is said that she had a deathbed confession. Mm-hmm. And all she said was that um, she lied in the stand to protect Lizzie. Hmm. So she never said, like, what it was. She wouldn't talk about it. And there was a money trail where she, Lizzie gave her a substantial amount of money and told her to go to uh, Ireland. And she ended up, I think she went to Ireland and came back and then went to Montana. Hmm. And just lived her life out, had kids, whatever, and just completely let that past go. No longer a maid, though. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if she was or not, but it's interesting. And then there was, like, when I did the tour, she broke it down. Like, there were other people. I think her Uncle John got, like, a chunk of money. The doctor made a lot of... Like, there were certain people that there was definitely a money trail that was interesting. But also, Hmm. she donated a lot to people. So, like, how much of that is, like... Generous, generous donations or payouts. I think that so. people are complicated. It kind of sounds like she had mm-hmm. good in her, but she probably just she did a definitely thing did. because mm-hmm. for whatever the fuck was going on, we don't know. I feel like we there's things well, that's that we the don't other know. Thing. That's the other thing. Like, there's a lot of theories of like. Why, like people have all types of theory of why she did it. Mm-hmm. One of the theories, there's nothing, nothing proven, but her father, like there's, there's like maybe he was like there was incest going on, or he was like a pervert or something. Yeah, I could totally see that because it's weird. It's weird, <laughs> it's weird that he definitely wouldn't let anyone date his daughters. It's weird that they were both like spinsters. It was weird. His personality, like the whole killing the pigeons and stuff, like that's a ter- that's like a personality. Like it's like he looked at them as his. Everything was his property. Mm-hmm. He had an ego. It was like his property. So I can see that. Like that kind of fits the whole profile and po- pathology of like a kind of person that's like a creep with their kids. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Also, if you go to that house, I'm sorry, but those bedrooms. The way when he bought that house, it was set up, I think, for two families and he redid it. There's when you go up the stairs, the guest bedroom where the uncle was is like away. Then you go to the right and you walk into a room. It's Lizzie's room off of her room, which looks like a really big walk-in closet almost is her sister's room. So you cannot get into her sister's room without going into Lizzie's room. Yeah, that's what really got Mm. me. (laughs) Then there's a doorway. Her sister's room is Lizzie's closet, kind of. But it's big. It's a room. But it's you can't get into her room without going into Lizzie's room. And then there's a doorway in Lizzie's wall that you open a door to her father's bedroom. That's weird. It's all connected. Like, and then they have a third floor where, like, Bridget slept. And there's rooms Mm. up there. So why would you keep your grown ass daughters right there 
where like even if him and his wife are getting it on they can hear that shit like it is close like Mm. they all slept almost it's like literally this weird little setup yeah that i feel like houses back then were also just like kind of on the smaller side because whenever i went to i went to some like house and um the lady that was on the titanic the unsinkable molly brown we went to her house in Mm -hmm. colorado and i also noticed that like the house just like the stairs were small like the halls are smaller like it was like people were smaller they were smaller back then actually that's the thing andrew borden actually was very tall i think he was over six foot he was like six was he six one so was he uncomfortable so he was he was a giant back then Mm -hmm. he was it was very abnormal for him to be like i think they said the average man was like they didn't they were like five seven five eight Mm -hmm. women were like five one like on average so people were smaller a lot of old houses you're right that that, like older houses the stairs are very narrow they are very narrow and steep very narrow and steep exactly so like that's just how older houses are built some rooms like you'll notice the ceilings might be like lower Mm. yeah i mean but the whole rooms joined together. No, no, no. that's have, definitely weird, especially because yeah. like they, they have made, a third floor. No, yeah, and like <laughs> all these changes, they they made they personally conscientiously made them. Made them. So for and it I to can see them. it like if it's like oh you've got small children and like okay they're there for a while, but then like you've got a guest bedroom right there, and you got a third floor with other bedroom. Like your kids are in the thirty-two and forty-two. I'd like, go upstairs. Get like <laughs> you're already living at home. At least go upstairs. You know what I mean? It's weird. So there's nothing, nothing that proves that that's true. Like that something was going on. But also back then, people didn't talk about stuff like that either. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she had rage, like those killings are rage killings. Like she was pissed were, off. Yeah. So like it kind of like that theory. Ooh, I can get I down chills. with that theory. <laughs> I can I can see that theory. Like, maybe mm-hmm. that was her only way out. Maybe she felt like, not saying that that's the right thing to do, but maybe she felt it was the only way to, like, move on with life. Also, yeah. maybe that's why I could see, like, a conspiracy theory type thing happen, Like, a conspiracy happening where, like, the family were in on it. Like, if he was really, if there was some sort of weird dysfunction. I definitely don't on. think she did this on her own. Like, there are, were probably multiple people that knew details mm-hmm. about this. <sighs> Yeah, and that's why I feel like I don't think I don't think Emma had anything to do with that. I think they were like, I think she's the weak tit on that mama cat where they were like, we gotta send her away. She's gonna go <laughs> and we're gonna get this. Weak <laughs> you know, she's good. Mama cat. <laughs> like she's like, she's gotta go because she's gonna like she's gonna break. I feel like maybe Bridget wasn't like in on the original plan, but maybe like helped clean up or you know what I mean? Like she had to keep her mouth shut mm. because but again, all theory, just my opinion, like reading into all of it. The other thing I found, so you know how the, the nursery rhyme is Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, gave her father 41. There's another yeah. verse to it that I, I think I've heard it. Like I forgot all about it. I have heard it before, but I completely forgot about it. And it's not really as well known. The next verse would be Andrew Borden now is dead. Lizzie hit him in on the head up in heaven. He will sing on the gallows. She will swing. 
So that's like oh, the whole so thing. creepy. <laughs> Isn't that creepy? I'm like, that's the kids would sing at her, that whole thing. Children are so creepy. Kids are wicked <laughs> creepy. Kids are so fucking creepy <laughs> and weird. <laughs> but that is a story of Lizzie Borden. And I'm sure there's so oh, much more, honestly. It was really you good. Can, thank you. And I really enjoyed going there. I think going was like, mm-hmm. even like, it, like I told you, I wrote this and then I went and then I beefed it up and I'm like, no, this is two parts. Like, <laughs> I can't, <laughs> I can't do it all in one sitting. We'll be exhausted. Yeah. But, yeah going there really, probably really like put you there. Well, well that's the funny <laughs> after going, I can see the rooms. I can see like when you're reading yeah. it, like when I was reading the the um the transcript from the the court transcript, and I'm reading it. I'm literally you're putting yourself there because you've been yes, in the house. Like, it's, that's yes, crazy. And it's so weird. It's weird mm-hmm. to read it and be like, all right. So then I went out back in the back door, and I'm looking like in my mind at the back door. Then I went upstairs, and like we went up the back stairs to mm-hmm. the third floor, like to Bridget's room, like. I'm like, oh my god, it's weird to read it and know exactly where they went. But um, mm-hmm. it's totally worth going to if you're around. Like next time you go to Boston, drive over to um, Fall River. It's like yeah, 45 minutes or something. That fun. It's really quick, and it's not expensive. Overnight. It's cheap. Yeah, spend a night there. I don't think I could now. spend the night there. I'd be too. I'm scared. gonna do it. It's on the it list. Nice. I'm definitely gonna stay there. Because you actually have to, like, it's really just, like, to sleep there because you have to, um, in the morning, like, you can only check in after, like, the tours are done. And then you have to check mm-hmm. out before the tours start. And so you, you have don't to, like, get to, like, your... relax. And... No, you can't just stay there and lounge all day. Like, <laughs> like oh, I'm renting. For... You literally are just paying to, like, sleep there. Right get there, out. So. <laughs> right. But you can rent out the entire house and have a party. Mm-hmm. Not, like, a crazy party. But you can rent it out, like, you can do the whole house. And have for, a like, seance. Uh, <laughs> I, i'm not doing that no okay. i'm just kidding no ouija board no fuck that i'm mm-hmm. a scaredy cat like i love talking about this shit but i don't want to be like i don't want to mess with it like i want to be away from it i don't know i okay a seance maybe but i'm not touching a fucking ouija board mm, i'm not doing either but all that right was guys. an awesome story Thank you. I really enjoyed this one. This was fun because I got to like go there. So, all right. Well, thanks for, you know, tuning back in. I hope you enjoyed the second part of Lizzie Borden. And you can write to us at mostlymacabpod at gmail.com. Also, make sure to check out our TikTok and our Instagram, which is mostly macabre podcast. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye, have a good life. <laughs> <laughs>